seats, go ahead and grab your Bibles, open them to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3 this morning, we will go from verse 1 through 13 uh, today. We'll actually complete uh, chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. If you're brand new with us, we're in the middle of a sermon series on 1 and 2 Timothy and making some reference to Titus called This is Church, and we're going through this uh, in preparation for autonomy that's coming up for us as a local church here at the first of the year. So up to this point, the last five years, we have been a church revitalization of Lenexa Baptist Church, and in January, we will be launched out on our own as a healthy and vibrant uh, church here in the Olathe area. And so, uh, so grateful that you're a part of this with us. And we chose to go through First and Second Timothy so that we would know what a church is supposed to do, what it's not supposed to do, what it's supposed to look like. We saw that in First Timothy chapter 3. Verses 14 through 16, where Paul says, I write these things so that you would know how to conduct yourself in the household of God. And so we started from that as our basis point, and so that's our, on our hope. And, and so I did want to make you know, we might want to just jot down a little note, October 29th, that's a Sunday night at 5 p.m., that's going to be a business meeting over at Lenexa Baptist, and I know most of you are like, that's what gets my blood pumping right there is business meetings. But it is a good thing, because at that particular business meeting, we will be announcing and voting on all of the people uh, that will be in leadership here at Fellowship Olathe. We'll also cover Constitution and Bylaws. Those are also super awesome and, and, and great, but uh, they are good, right? And so we'll be covering all that October 29th, a very significant business meeting for us. And then the next time we meet together, we'll be here in January, and we'll be running our very own celebration service and business meeting there. So that's exciting. So good days and awesome things ahead for for us as a church. But that's why we're going through this series. And so if you remember the very first week in chapter one of 1 Timothy, we talked about uh, the church needing to build everything on the foundation and the truth that we find in God's word. God gets to come up with the plans. It's his church, not ours. And so we want to stick close to what God's word says. And if we're out of alignment with this, we've talked about this every week. It is our responsibility to come into alignment with what God's word says, right? God doesn't change to us, we change and conform to Christ. And so if God calls us to do it, that's what we want to do as a church. And so that was the very uh, first week when we talked about the foundation and truth of God's word. Then we talked about the importance of understanding the gospel, right? The good news of salvation, that we would be born again and not just different, but the Bible describes us as transformed. We're new creations, right? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter two that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And it goes on to tell us that we're following after the leader of this world, which is the enemy, the devil, right? And it says that we're good at it. And because of Christ's finished work on the cross and the free gift that he offers us in salvation, we can have forgiveness of sin and eternal life and eternity with him forever. And so it's important, right? We wanna make sure that we understand what the gospel is, uh, our sin situation, and what Jesus Christ did on our behalf. And then we talked about the importance of prayer, right? And so as a church, uh, we wanna be a people that are about prayer. We recognize that we are completely and wholly dependent upon the Lord, right? Like the things that God has called us to do here as a body of believers, we cannot do under our own power and our own strength and our own plans, right? Like we have to be seeking the Lord because these are spiritual things. And so we want to pray and we want to ask God to go before us and we want to ask God to give us wisdom and discernment on things. And we want to be known as a people that seek God's face 
in prayer. And then last week, we talked about women in ministry. What does God call women to do? What does he reserve for only men as far as pastoral leadership? And so we had that conversation last week. And now this week, we're getting into chapter three, and Paul's going to address the qualifications for leadership within the local church. And so he's going to address two offices in the local church. And he said, both of these are good. We need both offices, but it's good for us to understand what they're called to do and what the qualifications are for those who would hold these offices. The first office that he's going to talk to us about is the office of overseer, all right? And this is important that we understand this, that throughout the New Testament, you're going to come across uh, three different words that Paul uses for the same office. Now, in this particular text, he uses the word overseer, which is episkopos, right? But in other texts, he uses presbyteros and then poimain. So one is elder and the, and the poimain is pastor. So all that to say is Paul uses these three words interchangeably throughout the New Testament. So here at Fellowship Olathe, we recognize that this office of overseer is the same thing as elder and as pastor, okay? So that we're all on the same page. And then he's going to address the other office of deacons in this text as well. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to spend our time going through this. We're going to examine the scriptures. We're going to look at these qualifications and then we're going to give you um, some opportunity to, to use these qualifications to help us identify men within the church that we would want to encourage and support and resource for these two offices. Because as I said, Paul says that this is good and it's right. In fact, he's going to tell us that if anyone would aspire to become an overseer or pastor, that he has desired to do a noble task. And so these are good, right things within the local church. We want to make sure that we understand them completely. So for the first one, overseer, I'm going to read uh, a text together. Um, we're going to actually read 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to read verses uh, 1 through through 8, and or 7, excuse me, and then we're going to jump over to Titus because he actually addresses the same qualifications in the book of Titus for overseer. Talk about what those qualifications are, then we'll jump back to 1 Timothy talk about deacons, their qualifications as well. Can I give you a pro tip this morning though? And those little books that you guys got, write small. All right, so I told the first service, here's our, here's our thing today. We've got 30 minutes together. You need to write small and you need to write fast. All right, and so if you can do those two things, then we will be out of here in time for you to eat whatever uh, unhealthy, unholy thing and watch Chiefs, all right? So we're gonna do this together though. So 1 Timothy chapter three, starting in verse one, Paul begins with the qualifications for overseers. He writes, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Now, if you go just a couple pages to your right in Scripture, you will find Titus. So go over to Titus chapter 1. All right, once you get to Titus chapter 1, we're going to read verse 5 through 9 together as Paul 
finishes out qualifications for overseers. Verse five, this is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it, all right? And so that is qualifications that we find in the scriptures here for overseer or elder or pastor, as I said. We're seeing all of those as the same office. So let me give you a very basic definition of what we're talking about as far as overseer, elder, or pastor. Overseers provide oversight and leadership to a local congregation. An overseer is devoted to teaching and caring for the church. That's where the title of pastor comes in there, right? So that is translated to shepherd. And so we're seeing that this is more than just shepherding in the the fact that he uses all three of these words. This is about leadership. This is about teaching and it is about shepherding. So in the most basic sense, that is the definition that we're gonna work with as far as the congregation for what it means to be an overseer, elder, or pastor, all right? So then he gets into qualifications and this is important for us to understand because you notice Paul doesn't spend a whole lot of time talking about uh, the what, right, but who. And what I mean by that is he doesn't give us this exhaustive list of tasks that an elder is supposed to perform, nor a deacon. But instead what he does is he offers us a description of a type of person. He shares with us who they are supposed to be, not what they do, but who they are. Are, right? And so that's important for us to understand. As we look to identify these things, he's saying, like, listen, this is less about what they can do. This is less about skills and abilities and about what they're even currently doing and more about who they are as a man. And so that's where he really focuses his time and attention in these qualifications. And so I want us to go through them. The reason why I said write fast and write small is there are 14 qualifications for elder and overseer and nine for the deacons, all right? And so we're gonna go through these fast. I told the first service, if you're super interested in this, you can't keep up with the notes this morning. If you would simply let me know, I can forward you on my notes and then you can kind of add those to your collection as you go, all right? Because there are a lot of them this morning, all right? So we're gonna go through them. Number one, number one qualification for overseer or elder is that he is a man that is above reproach. A man that is above reproach. What does it mean to be above reproach? This is a simpler uh, definition for us. He is innocent of wrongdoing and no legitimate charge can be brought against him. He's innocent of wrongdoing and no legitimate charge can be brought against him. This is something that is very important for us here at Fellowship Olathe, our pastoral team. We take this very seriously. We want to be above reproach. It's why we do what we do and it's also why we don't do what we do. It's why we don't meet with women alone for meetings. It's why all of our office doors have windows in them. It's why 
why we don't ride with the opposite sex and young people alone in vehicles and things like that because we want to be above reproach. That simply means whether or not something's actually happened or not, no one can even bring a charge against you because you've maintained that uh, level of being above reproach. And so that's something that we do here as a staff. It's something that is significant for us. It's very, very meaningful for us. So we want to be a man known for being above reproach. You know, I was sharing with the first service. There's even been times here where, where people look at me uh, kind of crazy. And if this ever happens uh, between us, I want you to know it's not because I don't love you and I don't want to serve you, but it's just, it's just part of the deal, right? Like, so if you call Pastor Drew and you're like, hey, can you, can you drive my daughter home after camp because we can't come pick her up. Um, if he can't find somebody to go with him, that answer is going to be no, right? Um, I've been asked here before if I can take somebody's uh, little one to the, to the bathroom, right, to the restroom. My answer is no. Not, again, not because I don't love you, not because I don't want to serve you. It allows me to maintain the level of, of accountability, and it allows me to stay above reproach. So again, these things are in place not because we don't care for you and love you. It's because we do care for you and love for you, you know, and we want to maintain that level as pastors of being above reproach. Number two, second qualification that he talks about, a husband of one wife, a husband of one wife. When somebody mentions his name, they think of only one woman. He is deeply committed to his spouse and nurtures his relationship with her, all right? So this is important that a qualification for, for an elder would be somebody that when you think of this man, you think of his wife, right? Because he is such a one-woman kind of man, right? This kind of goes back to number one about being above reproach, but also just in interactions and dealings with, with, with women within the church. We want to have a good, loving, respectable relationship with you as pastors, but we never want to cross a line in which somebody might be confused about who our one true love is, right? And that is our wives. And so when you think of Jeremy, the idea here is that you should think of Aaron, right? That I live my life in that kind of way as a one woman kind of man. Same thing goes for all of our pastoral staff. Number three, I actually kind of combine, combine one, uh, two here. Um, three and four, sober-minded and self-controlled. I combine them because really the definition is very similar, but it means that he's not controlled by anything other than Christ, right? By anything other than Christ. We've actually had to broaden this definition a little bit over time, but it's that, that nothing would be controlling. He's not addicted to anything. He's not known for anything other than Jesus Christ. So it's him being sober-minded, demonstrating self Control. Number five, he is respectable. He is respectable. He is mature and proven in character, right? So that's what we want to think of when we think of elders and overseers, that they are men deserving of respect because they are mature individuals with proven character. Next one on the list is hospitable. Number six, that he is hospitable. He is friendly and welcoming to all people. And this is in every aspect of his life, right? This is not just his own personal home, which is part of the deal, right? I believe that God has called all believers to be hospitable. And part of that means us being willing to open up and share what we have with others. So it does include that, which by the way, we had to adjust some. Like, like we went from Arkansas to um, Dothan, Alabama, 
And, and in the South, man, it's just like everybody's in other people's houses all the time, right? Like people love hosting. They love being hospitable. They love doing all that kind of stuff. When we moved back here to the Midwest in, in Johnson County, like we had to get used to like back porch stuff again, right? Because it was like, it was like more people closed off. So it's one thing for us as, as a people to demonstrate our hospitality and be countercultural in how we open and our lives to people and stuff, but that is definitely to be true of the overseer or elder. He should be known as a man that is friendly and welcoming to all people, so not just in his own home, but even here in the gathered body, that this would be a place that all people are welcome together and that he is friendly with all people. Number seven, that he is able to teach, able to teach. Under the notes here, I put, he knows God's word and is able to teach it. He instructs challenges, corrects, and encourages through the teaching of God's word, all right? This is what makes this list unique. As I said, we're talking about who here, not so much what, and of all of the qualifications, this is the only one that appears to be one of the what things, right? He has to be able to teach. It's what, it's what separates this list from the list that we'll see here in, in a minute with deacons. The deacons list is very close it's very similar to the same qualifications. The only thing that's majorly different is this point right here, the ability to teach. So as we said, it's important that he would know God's word. It's hard to teach something that you don't know, right? So that he would know God's word and be able to teach it to others. Number eight, the text in both, First Timothy and Titus say that he's not a drunkard. He's not a drunkard. He is not addicted to alcohol and is not habitually drunk. Right, So when you think of this person, you don't think of them being addicted to alcohol. Number nine, he is gentle, right? He is not violent, but gentle, doesn't lead with an iron fist in his interactions and relationships with people. He's known for his gentleness. Number 10, that he's not quarrelsome, not quarrelsome, right? He's not argumentative and divisive. And this is so, so important, especially in our current cultural context, right? I feel like it's more and more common for us to interact with people all the time, that their, their natural tendency is to just go towards uh, an argument of things, right? And when he says quarrelsome, he's talking about argumentative but usually about something that doesn't really matter all that much. You guys know what I'm talking about? You've probably been around this person before. It's like every single thing is a fight. Every single thing is an argument. If you say the pen's blue, they're like, it's actually royal blue, okay? Or no, it's navy. And, and, and they're that type of person, right? Like everything seems to turn into something bigger than it needs to be because they are naturally argumentative, quarrelsome, and divisive. And he's saying when you think of an overseer or an elder or a pastor, they need to not be known for that. Number 11, that he's not a lover of money not a lover of money. And we know that this is super important for multiple reasons, right? One of the primary reasons here in the text is that if you're going to give oversight and leadership to God's church, there's gonna be an element to what you do that you're responsible for oversight of God's uh, money, right, and funds. And so he's saying, listen, you need to be a person that's not a lover of money, somebody that can be accountable and trusted to give oversight and leadership in these areas 
and, and navigate the, the money things the way that would be God honoring, right? Think the opposite of Judas Iscariot. Remember, Christ gives him charge of the money bag, and what does he do? He steals, and he's greedy. Paul's saying, like, listen, this person shouldn't be a person that puts such high regard on money so that they would be willing to do whatever it takes to get it. The second application of that as well is that you're more concerned about God's work than you are about finances, all right? And so um, that's what, what he's talking about, not a lover of money. Number 12, he manages his household. Simply put, he leads his family well. He leads his family well. I've told you guys a million times, one of my aspirations in life is to lead my family well like Pastor Brian has led his family well, right? Like you can look at his, his boys, the example that he and Charlotte have set. When you look at him, you think, okay, that's what Paul's talking about, right? A person that would lead their family well, that, that we would be men that would lead out in our own homes, and that we would set the example, that we would make disciples of our own children, that we would, that we would teach them all that, that God has commanded us, right? And, and that's important because he's saying, if you can't even manage your own house, then how are you going to manage the church, right? And we see that correlation, like we said before, between headship and the fact that leading in the church is actually about leading people, right? That, that, that's, the, that's the challenge, to it is these are all real relationships, and so you have to know how to navigate those and be able to lead well in your home first and then also in the church. Number 13, he says he's not a recent convert. Not a recent convert. What does that mean? It means that, that he doesn't give his life to Christ this morning and Wednesday night we ordain him as a pastor. Right? That's what he means. He says he shouldn't be a recent convert. And by the way, Paul doesn't put a time frame on it. He doesn't say you got to wait one month or one year or 10 years. But what he does say is you should be looking for something in them, that they should be a person that's not attracted to the power, that they're not conceited, and they're not going to be led astray by the devil. Right? They're not an arrogant person that thinks that what the church needs is them. All right, so that's what he's saying. Give them a season to be able to prove themselves, right? And that's exactly what we do here. Before we ordain anybody, they have to go through a season of testing or proving, right? And that's not particular hoops that they have to jump through. It's just a, it's just a season for us to be able to look at these qualifications and go, okay, that man or that young man meets these qualifications. And so that's what Paul's saying is that give some time between putting them in charge of leadership and oversight of the local church and them coming to saving faith. They need to be discipled first. They need to grow in their faith. They need to be spiritually mature. That's really what he's saying. And that's why I say there's not a time frame on it. I've met people that have told me that they've known Jesus Christ for 50 years and been less spiritually mature than somebody who's known Christ for five. And so what he's saying is you're looking for a type of person, and this is what they would look like. Number 14, that he has good reputation. A good reputation. A reputation is what you're known for, right? Having a good reputation. Prior to me coming to Saving Faith in Christ, when I was a freshman and a sophomore in high school, if you'd have got the people together that knew me and asked them, do I meet any of these qualifications, they would have laughed hysterically at you, right? But what it's saying is now, at this point in my life, I should be known for good reputation. 
You should be able to call my neighbors and say, tell me about Jeremy. And my neighbors should describe for you the person that you know here at the church. The same thing is true of of anyone that I come in contact with. So it's important that we treat other people well if we're gonna have good reputation with those outside of the church and in the community. I've probably told you guys this story a thousand times, but it is is exactly what Paul's talking about. When I grew up, there was a pastor at my home church who would frequent the grocery store that I worked at. And amongst the staff that worked at the grocery store, they didn't know that he was a pastor. I did. But amongst them, you know what he was known for? He was known for his abrasiveness. He was known for being a jerk. He was known for mistreating people. And here I recognize that this man is is supposed to be an elder, an overseer, a pastor at our church. And, And that's what Paul's talking about, a man of good reputation that all people in his life would describe him the same way. Right? And so that's the, that's the challenge here. And remember, I want to go back, before we move on to deacons, I want to go back real fast to verse 1, because this is important. The Bible says that if you would aspire to this role, you desire a noble task. Listen, I want to share with you this one. We've got three pastors on our staff here. We've got Pastor Brian that you guys just saw up here leading worship. We've got Pastor Drew, who leads in our student ministry and, and many other things in our congregation and myself. And so these are the three men here that are called to this position. But I can tell you, we all have the exact same heart. We want to see God raise up men. And right here, you guys looking? He might raise you up even though you're not paying attention. That God might raise up men and young men in this church to this role, that God would place a call of ministry on your life so gripping that you can't escape it. And we want to come alongside you and we want to minister to you and we want to challenge you and we want to resource you and we just want to support you in that calling. And I think this is good and it's right. As he says, the reason why he's sharing qualifications, he said it in Titus. Listen, if there's anyone among you that meets these qualifications, it's good for them to aspire to this role in a good and God honoring way. And I believe that that's Paul's calling to us, that we're constantly to be looking for men and young men who meet these qualifications and then do whatever we can in our power as other pastors, as deacons, and as a church family to help them navigate the calling that God's placed upon their life. It's incredibly important. My student pastor growing up made a big deal about this, and as a consequence of that, almost 30 30 men that I can name right now today are in ministry in the United States of America, pastoring somewhere. Why? Because he made this such a big deal. In fact, I remember him telling me, it's the only number I've ever kept track of. I don't know exactly how many kids have come to Saving Faith. I don't know how many have been baptized. I I haven't kept track of those. But I can tell you without a doubt that there are 27 men that are seeking this role and pursuing this 
calling on their life from God as a result of our ministry. And that's what I want us to be known for as a church. We shouldn't be able to look back after years and years and years and years of of faithful ministry to God's word and what he's called us to do and still only have three. Now, they may not work here forever, but we wanna encourage them and support them and resource them, and we want that to be a part of our DNA. And that's why I want us to understand what the qualifications are. This is what we're looking for in young men. Then Paul does the same exact thing for deacons. All right, so... Let's, let's cover that. 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 8. Deacons likewise. So Paul's connecting this to what he just talked about. This is the second office. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be a husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now, this is important that we make this distinction. I'm gonna give you the definition of deacon. It's important that we all Know this, the overseer, the elder, the pastor, that was leadership, teaching, and service to the local church via cares and shepherding, right? The deacon, the office of deacon, this is a serving body, right? He doesn't make it about overall leadership and direction of the church. He doesn't make it about teaching either, but he does keep that last component, So there's an element to this of shepherding and caring and service, all right? So basic definition is this. Deacons assist the overseers by meeting needs in the church. If you go to Acts chapter six, the first seven deacons are called. You can look this up uh, later. And you can see that they're called to meet specific needs, right? That's why we're careful about giving out the job description about all the things that they're called to do because each congregation is gonna have unique and special needs, right? And so that's what he's saying is the deacons should lean into helping meet those needs and by doing that, they're assisting the overseers and the leaders and the pastors of the church, all right? So this is a very important office and he's gonna give us qualifications for it. Number one, that he's dignified. As I said, you're gonna see that these are very similar to the list before. What do we mean by dignified? His life is marked by character and therefore worthy of honor and respect from those that know him. All right, number two, he's genuine. The life he lives on Sunday is the same life that he lives Monday through Saturday. He is credible and sincere. Same goes for the the pastors, right? Same goes for the deacons. We should be able to call your employer and ask them, describe, describe this man to us. And what they would describe for us is who we know here. We should be able to call um, your, your neighbors and they would describe you as a genuine and sincere person, right? That, that you're consistent, that you don't put on a good show on Sunday morning and then, then Monday through Saturday do all sorts of ungodly dishonoring things. This is a man that when you think of him, you think of genuine, sincere, consistent. 
right? Number three, that he's self-controlled. He's not controlled by anything other than Christ. Again, same idea, that he's not addicted to anything, that nothing has control over his life but Jesus. Number four, he's not materialistic. His life is marked by pursuing treasures in heaven, not treasures on earth, right? That, that's where that serving component comes from. He is, he is faithful to serve. He's quick to be generous. That's, that's who Paul's describing here. Number five, devoted to the word. Not required to be able to teach the word, but is required to be devoted to the word. Right? His life is marked by a deep hunger and passion for God's word. He consistently spends time in God's word and in prayer. So Paul's saying one of the qualifications of deacon is when you think of somebody, you should think that is a man of God's word. All right? Number six, that he's proven. Just like with the elders and, and pastors, that there is a season of his life that he's been tested and proven himself to be faithful, right? Proven himself to be faithful, faithful to the word, the church, his wife, his family, and his employer. Number seven, that he has a godly wife. His wife is dignified, not a slanderer, sober-minded, and faithful in all things. So same thing. When you think of him, you should think of her, and you should think of her the same way that you think of him. Right, that she is godly and dignified in everything that she does. Number eight, he's a husband of one wife. All right, again, the Greek here is a one woman man. Right, a one woman man. When somebody mentions his name, they think of only one woman. He's deeply committed to his spouse and nurtures his relationship with her. Right, that's why here we will navigate issues of divorce on a case-by-case basis, right? The qualification is that he is a one-woman man, all right? Number nine. I've said all right about 500 times today. I apologize. Spiritual leader. He is the spiritual leader of his home, and he seeks to ensure that his family walks with God and presents a Christ-like example to the community. Right? So, so he's actually living out what the Bible calls us to live out. He's making disciples in his own home. He's a spiritual leader in his own home. He's setting good example for his wife, his children, and those that God has placed around him in his life. All right? So I'm going to share with you. You can write these names down. I want you to know. I'm going to share with you very quickly our seven active and current deacons here at Fellowship Olathe. Right? I'm going to give you their names so that you can, be, you can be praying for them. And same thing for us as a staff. Lift us up in prayer. Pray for us individually. Pray for our families, our children. Listen, I can tell you this. I can promise you this. The enemy seeks to destroy the local church by going after leadership. All right? So pray. We covet your prayers. And so I'm going to share these names with you. And this is a good example of what I'm talking about. These are men who are already meeting these qualifications, loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving people here at this church very well through their, through their sacrifice and their service. And so I want to share their names with you. Number one is Doug Whitaker. Doug Whitaker. Two, Howie Roden. John Morrow. 
Jamie and Chores, Marty Ogden, Dan Willard, and Derek Dighton. So currently, these are our seven deacons that serve and help meet the needs of the church here at Fellowship Olathe. They all do a wonderful and fantastic job. They are a good gift to our church. They're a gift to our pastoral staff. And I wanted to share their names with you so that you would know who they are and how you might be praying for them. The second thing I wanna share with you this morning is that because of need, the number of deacons that a church is to have is not specified in scripture, but it's always attached to need, right? So due to need, increase of need, due to increase of, of people in our church, we've decided to enter into a season of nominations so that we might add good and godly men to this team, all right? And so this is kind of the homework assignment for you as a church body. Right back here on this, this round table in the back right there, you'll find, you'll find deacon nomination sheets that look just like this, right? We've actually listed out the qualifications on it. If you wanna take it and pray over somebody for a little while, I encourage you to do that. But I want you to take one if you've got somebody in mind that when we went through these qualifications, you thought, you know what? That reminds me of so-and-so. I want you to grab one of these and I want you to fill it out. On the bottom, it's gonna ask you who you're nominating and then it's gonna ask you to write your name as the nominating person, all right? That's simply so we can reach back out to you if necessary and say, hey, tell us a little bit more about this person. What is it that you see in them? Right? And we think that this is good and God-honoring and healthy for our church. And we are so excited to see who God would place upon your heart and your mind to be nominated to join this awesome team of men here. And so I want to encourage you to do that. Really put thought to this. We've got several that we need to add to this team. And so if there's somebody that you know that, man, that, that man is a godly man who loves his wife and loves Jesus and loves the church and he meets all these qualifications... Fill this out. This is just step one. Just because you write their name on there doesn't mean, doesn't mean anything. This begins the process of vetting, but we need your help with this part, all right? So who is it that God has in this church around you that you think would meet these qualifications and be good for consideration for joining our deacon team, all right? Same thing goes with our pastoral staff. Listen, not asking for people to come on staff, but we are always looking for men and young men who feel like God is placing a calling on their life to seek this, and we wanna support them. Same thing with our deacons, all right? Let's pray together, church. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for what you've outlined in it for us this morning, God. We thank you for the qualifications listed, and God, I thank you that you are a God who sees a man's heart. God, you're not overly concerned with outward appearance or skills and abilities. But God, you are primarily concerned about men who love you and who love other people. And God, you want those kind of men to lead in your church. And so God, we pray that you would raise up men, raise up young men like that in our midst. God, that we can partner with, that we can support, that we can encourage God, again, I pray that you put that calling on their life so clear and I pray that you grip them so hard God, that they can't escape it. And God, I pray for our congregation as we enter into this season of deacon nominations, I pray that you would bring us 
the right men, not just men, but the right men to be able to serve and love the people here at Fellowship Olathe well in the, in the coming years. And so God, we trust you in this and we thank you for letting us be a part of it. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.